Here is the latest Minions and Musings call-in collective. Evil Jeff, back behind the mic. It is a call-in collective. Lots of call-ins on topics from the entire OSR Tober. So, hopefully I gather them all up into one spot so you can hear them. <laughs> hopefully we get this right. And I also get the right order. Anyway, let's see what people have to say. Hello, Evil Jeff. This is Michael. I'm the guy that suggested Delicious in Dungeon. Um, I'm glad that suggestion was helpful, as well as ICRPG. Uh, so, yeah, Delicious in Dungeon will be coming to Netflix in the near future as an anime. And you can get ICRPG as a quick start for free on DriveThruRPG. If you want to check that out without needing to um, actually, you know, commit money or, you know, getting a physical book, it's enough to look at the rules, uh, you know, see about the, the flat difficulty level for a room and whatnot. Um, yeah, as for spotlighting on characters, I, I'll send another message. Well, thanks. Uh, let's see. Netflix search delicious in dungeon. Yep, there's that note for myself. Uh, probably ask uh, Minion Bravo if he's heard anything about it too. Um, sounds like something he would at least give a look at, especially if it's a good art style. And yeah, I think I might have ICRPG quick start rules. You know, it's my favorite you know, type free i think i might have them but then again i might not um it's just one of those things that you know jason bangs on about icrpg a lot and everything and it's just one of those things i think i just build a resistance to listening to him and you know he's like yeah you should get this you get this and i'm like going ah, i'm a rebel i'm not gonna do it i don't know <laughs> maybe that's what will happen but yeah i need to give um That'll look so, yeah. Thanks for reminding me about the uh, quick start rules being free. Hey, Evil Jeff, this is Mike again. Um, I don't know the full context of the where the spotlight thing came from, but I reinterpret it to mean make sure all of your players have a chance to not necessarily shine but be engaged. I ran for my, my longtime GM, he's a very uh dramatic. Uh, engaged player, and I found myself focusing on him to the detriment of the rest of the players, which was um, kind of sad after I got done with the session. Um, and even as a player, I can find myself, as I'm really engaged, taking over. And when I finally realize that, then I, I kind of take a back seat for a little while to so make sure everybody else can enjoy the game as much as I am enjoying it. So that's my take. Uh, take care. Bye. 
Cable, Jeff Jason here, just listening to the first part of your latest show where you're talking about should the DM make a point to give everybody a chance to shine in the spotlight and move the spotlight around. And I think for us, people of our generation, the answer is no. I pretty much agree. Wow, they're a little bit close to me here. I'm driving down the road. But I pretty much agree with what you're saying. And when I design adventures, I'm like you. I don't design for the characters. Now, I have designed adventures for characters. Let's let's be fair. But for the most part, I don't. Like the most recent Barbarians of Lemuria game I ran for some new players, I came up with a scenario and told them, make the characters. And the scenario I designed was off the movie The Professionals, the you know, the old Western. And... They came up with a very interesting, there's an old worn-out fighter. There was a assassin-slash-dancer who just had a grot. There was a one-armed beggar. There was a fairly traditional thief, but not really the kind of characters you would think would take on a bandit camp that kidnapped a, a lady, right? But they went and they handled it superbly in their own way, hardly any combat, but it worked out but I didn't design that adventure for those characters at all. So I didn't plan for that at all, but it went pretty well, all told, because they were good role players and they inhabited the characters. And, you know, they found ways around the salute, you know, to solve the problems. So instead of a combat-heavy scenario or infiltration scenario where they snuck in at night and caused havoc, well, they did cause havoc, but they, they found a different way to infiltrate the camp the bandit camp, and and do their thing. So it worked out great. I think there are certain times we do design around certain characters, though. Like, in a different Barbarian's Lemuria game, I did, we had the characters, everybody made up their own characters, and we had the normal adventure, but when somebody missed a session, what I would do for the other players is I did a flashback of, this is when your characters were together before, but without that character around. And those flashbacks I kind of built around different characters and the backstories that people had come up with, which worked fine. So there, there are occasions I'll build around certain characters. But as far as moving the spotlight around, you know, sometimes if we're in combat or we're doing that or, or we're doing whatever, I might switch, you know, I'm going to switch the camera to use filmmaker terms. Hey, what are you doing? What's your character doing? But... I don't worry about putting something in there specifically to make everybody's character look good. So I think for the most part, we're on the same sheet of music. Let me go listen to your phone calls. All right, so comments from Michael and Jason there. Thank you guys for giving those to me. And I listened to them, and I think both sides are valid. And actually, you can hold both of those at once. And Jason agreeing with me there. Um, but Michael brings up a good point. I think that's where I wasn't finished thinking it through. Because as you said, Michael, you are giving the, a player a chance to be engaged. And that's how you view the spotlight thing. Um, and I guess it really depends upon how you're looking at it. I know that if there was a GM that's trying to make sure the adventure has something for everybody in it, then you're modifying it and you are sitting there, you know, catering to your players and things like that. And that's not, 
you're always creating these scenarios there, which, I mean, okay, yeah, that's good, but that almost, almost feels like you're telling a story. I mean, there's going to be times that people just can't do things. Or they're going to have to figure out a different way to do it, which is how Jason's sitting there talking about it with that uh, Western, which sounds very interesting. And some of those characters, I can imagine, yeah, it definitely doesn't sound like your normal run-of-the-mill adventurer there. So, but good point there, Michael. I appreciate that. And it reminds me that while I don't have to make everything, you know, every adventure have something for every character, making sure that the player is engaged is the mark of a good GM and something that I should do. So thank you for that little bit of a reminder. Oh, and I wanted to mention, you talked about the ranger and the druid underground and the sewers and whatnot. There was an article in Dragon Magazine. I think it was Dragon Magazine. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's an article in Dragon Magazine about using druids and rangers in dungeons and, you know, how to effectively use these outdoor characters in those settings. It talked about things like, you know, of course there's plants and things in dungeons in the sewers because I think it was just dungeons. But, you know, because you have algae and moss and things like that that the druid can interact with and, I forget. I'd have to, I'll have to go back and look. But somewhere in Dragon Magazine, there's a whole article about that, using those kind of characters in dungeons. Which, you know, it wasn't really your point. You're trying to make a different point. But since you mentioned it, it brought to mind, I figured I'd share it with you because that's just the kind of guy I am. You know, Jason, I believe I have seen that article or heard about that article before. And... Now, it, this is this is me <laughs> uh, going and saying that I'm going to use my biology degree and that druid starts trying to interact with plants and things like that. Uh, algae, eh, it's not exactly a plant. Moss, very low on the plant scale there. Um, and having seen a number of experiments with different types of plants and trying to affect things, etc. This would be me being the adversarial GM to a degree, not letting them affect, you know, or be as effective with the algae and moss as maybe the plants and so forth. Would I let them deal with algae itself? Because, you know, algae is not exactly entirely a plant. Not entirely. You know, kind of a combination of both plant and animal there. Well, I guess the... I guess the jury can interact with animals. But I guess it really depends on the spell and how I want to interpret it. Ah. That's just me being contrary today. <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do remember seeing something about that article. Um, really as being a helpful hint, helpful tips on how you can still make a character effective. And really, I think it goes both ways. Uh, What about, say, assassins? I mean, how, I mean, really what an assassin is is really going to be more in a city and things like that. So how can they be effective in a dungeon? How can they be effective out in the wilderness? You know, what can we do there? So 
I think it uh, does a good job of asking the reader, that's the same article I'm thinking of, asking the reader to quit thinking in the box, think outside the box, you know, take the skill, how could it be applied in other places? Hey, Evil Jeff, this is Mike. Another good podcast. Bandits Keep is doing a similar kind of uh, history lesson going through really old material to see how the game was played and how it relates to OSR stuff. So, yeah, this is another fascinating read. The, the, as you're pointing out, this is, you know, 80s, and we're getting uh, an indirect look at at least one play style and, uh, you know, the trauma of a antagonistic uh, GM, which, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, thanks for going through it. It's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. And uh, thanks. Talk to you later. Michael, I'm glad you're getting something out of this. Um, and funny enough that you mentioned that, uh, Daniel over at Keep has a call later on in the episode here. So stay tuned to see what he says. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good to go back and look at this stuff. Um, a little bit of a critical eye because it's been a little bit of a slow read to go through and, and go and read this and, and kind of really mull on it and take notes on it. So yeah, it's, it's good there. And I think overall, like you'll probably have heard by this point, if you've listened to the previous podcast, that, yeah, definitely think I got something out of it. And some additional ideas, additional things to think about when I'm running. Hey, Evil Jeff, Jason here. Just listened to your Through Dungeons Deep Part 1. And... It's interesting picking a 40-year-old book, 41-year-old book, as a introduction to the OSR, since it predates the OSR by so many decades. But that doesn't necessarily preclude it from, even though the OSR isn't really old-style play, right? It's idealized old-style play. But that that's neither here nor there, because I think there's great value in books like this as historical documents and to, to see how people were playing back then. And, you know, we even have people today, you know, there, there's a big hoopla in a call-in over at the Whispering GM, used to be Clerics Wear Ringmail, reference a trap that Jason Hobbs from Random Screed used where he had a trapped scroll, scroll click case. That yeah, can't talk. But so you had a scroll case, which has a you know scroll in there for a magic user, a cleric, I don't know which, maybe an illusionist, but the scroll, the case itself is trapped, so it, and you know that kind of falls right in with what you're talking about with poisoning the, you know contact poison on the coins, so those things are still happening today, and I don't think anybody's going to argue that Jason Hobbs is not. Now, again, to the point that you're bringing up there, the trapped scroll case was there as a defensive mechanism to protect the scroll from being stolen 
or at least causing whoever stole it to pay the price of it. Um, theoretically, I think as there was discussion in that podcast that if the mage that put that trap on there, if he could get, you know, undo the trap or get past it by however and pull the scroll out, then you know, it's fine. It's just that by preventing that from being taken, it's protecting the treasure. I, I don't mind that. If there was a crappy spell in there or a you know, blank piece of paper and then you put a trap on it and you unwittingly hurting somebody then, or maybe it's on purpose hurting them, then yeah, it's a trap there for a purpose and maybe it's to distract from where the real treasure is. I mean, you know, there should be a purpose to it. You know, if you're going to do something to treasure, whoever does the stuff to treasure needs to be able to use it later on and not make it where it's a pain in the butt for them to use it later on. Again, that contact poison on the coins and everything, that's the level of stupidity. That, as Michael pointed out earlier, an antagonistic GM. That's what happened. Or excuse me, not antagonistic. Well, it actually is antagonistic. It's also adversarial. That's just like, I'm going to screw with you and you're going to like it. And I don't think that's, that's just not in the spirit of the game. And it just really is being mean. You know, if you're going to put some treasure there, there has to, in my opinion, there has to be a way to, to be able to get it if you're going to use it later on. If you're just putting treasure there and poisoning it, contact poison and everything, and somebody's going to get hurt, you're never going to use it, then it's not treasure, it's a trap. Now, if the characters are smart enough how to fix, you know, you know, do something about it and be able to use those coins later on, great. Though, I wouldn't do anything valuable with it. I would have a lot of valuable stuff in there. I'd have a lot of cheap stuff. Maybe even fake. You know? That might be more along the lines of what I do. But, I get what you're saying there. So, yeah. But, you're going to do something like that, really, there should be a purpose. Hey, well, Jeff, Jason here. Listen to your OSR October. You're doing your deep dive. I did buy this book back. I believe we first heard about this through, or at least I first heard about this through um, Deck Heater and RPG podcast. And I bought the Kindle version of this back when they first started talking about it. And I haven't actually read through it yet. And after the, the parts you read in part two about cheating and you know, outright doing things to do the rule of cool, because I would argue that's what you are doing, then I'm probably less likely to read it, but I'll still read it. For the most part, it sounds like really good advice, but I heartily disagree with the fudging of the dice and ignoring die rolls that matter. So I think the much better way to handle that is if it's not important, don't roll period. You've done your heroic deed. You're heading back. Do you really need to roll an encounter on the way back to the village? Or do you just let them get back to the village, right? If you don't want them to fight that snake, then just don't have them fight it. 
But if you haven't encountered that snake and they roll and they fail to roll, then you if you roll those dice, you need to abide by the dice. To disregard it because it's not heroic is no different than the rule of cool. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion I'm putting forward. I don't think so. I think the idea of not rolling when it's not interesting is important. But I think if you actually roll the dice, you should abide by those results. Now, if you're rolling up a random sound to, to add to your dungeon room and you don't like the sound that you're rolled up and you want to pick a different sound, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. If you roll a damage result and it kills a character, fudging that dice by giving a different damage result is cheating. You're cheating yourself and you're cheating the players by doing that. It doesn't make the game better. It just, you know, at that point, don't use dice. Just because if you're willing to do it, then in those situations, you might as well just not use dice at all or just use dice to come up with ideas and to prompt ideas. But just let the characters win the combats, you know, or make it so characters can't die and they can just be defeated. And maybe that makes it more interesting. So maybe instead of fudging the dice, you change the rules to the characters are at a commission when they hit zero instead of dead. And that way you don't have to cheat, but you can still not have your characters die from unexpected things like that. So maybe that's the better way to go. All right, Jason. So let's kind of take a couple of notes here. Um, You said rule of cool. The way I've always heard rule of cool on the podcast and other places is they characters players say hey i want to do this oh well you know that's a good idea that sounds really cool okay we'll do it that way and to me it's like the gm is either modifying the rules or allowing an action that maybe shouldn't happen to happen based upon the rules because oh it's cool and i understand that you're against i know you're against that in some instances in other instances it's okay um, but I don't think that's the rule of cool here. I think what it is, is that you rolled this thing and it occurs, but we, we want there to be a consequence, but, you know, we don't want to outright kill the character. And we're going to hear something in just a bit, uh, in defense of that. Now, let me also say this. You're saying, well, hey, then just don't roll going back there. But now you're playing the rule of cool yet again by your definition because the procedures that we place in these games are there to make the GM as neutral as possible. And just recently hearing a podcast over on Phantom Thoughts uh, as he's going through uh, that book, Muster, and a recent, very recent podcast where he's talking about this sort of particular thing of having that procedure there to keep the GM as neutral as possible, being an arbiter there, not playing favorites. If you just said, hey, well, you know, if you want to get back there, don't roll. Well, now you have played the rule of cool by what I'm hearing you say and letting him get back. 
the role is still here. They still are being neutral about it, but now we're not going to have this just big old negative consequence because the dice went against the character. This is a term that I'm picking up from a call that's getting ready to come up. So, there's that. Now, to get to your other point there, um, you know, if you don't like the way things are happening, you know, change the rules, right? Well, I mean, it does say that in our book here at some point, you know, look at the rules, and if you've come across a stupid rule, change it. That's not the way you and your players are going to play. I do want to emphasize again that we don't want to change rules willy-nilly. We want to make sure that we understand why they're there. And how many podcasts have we heard over the last couple of years of, you know, play rules as written to get an understanding of what's in there and then start house ruling. He start changing that thing. Instead of just jumping in, well, I got this great rule set, but I'm going to put these things in because I think they're cool and other people say things about it. No, we're not doing that. So, I think we're sort of in the same pathway. We're on the same lane. We're just, one of us is closer to the left-hand side versus the right-hand side, etc. But again, I don't think that was exactly the rule of cool there. And we're keeping the procedure there to be as neutral as possible. And, well, you know what? I think Daniel... And Bandit's Keep explains it better. Hey, Evil Jeff. Daniel from Bandit's Keep calling in about your podcast going through what Dungeon Deep was called. Number two. I think I called in for the first one. I guess I'll find out on the call-in show. Anyways, uh, the parts about the potentially fudging the dice is really interesting because I'm curious. This book is definitely curious to me. I might have to pick it up. Like it, it seems like the way you're saying it, and which I guess you're getting from the book, it's actually pretty close to what Gygax says. So if you're reading the Dungeon Master's Guide, right, Gygax talks about the idea that if the players are doing everything right and the dice just go against them, then you can and should basically make an adjustment. Not so much – I don't call this fudging the dice, though there was there was a little bit of a debate about this. What he kind of the example he gives is instead of the character dying from the the let's say the bite of the the monster I can't remember what monster they're fighting instead they lose an arm right there's no rules for losing an arm in AD and D whatever but it's something that's a consequence still you're not just letting them get away with it it's not like well you know dice went against you but because you're a hero you're alive and there's nothing happens it's something happens right maybe it could be as you know maybe your magic shield is destroyed but you're at zero hit points and not dead right you could do anything you like i don't know how that book describes it but i think that's probably really good advice even if you want to play in a more kind of we'll call it hardcore <laughs> type campaign where it's like death at zero i think yeah if the players are doing everything right they're being smart about it and the dice just go against them it doesn't seem like a bad idea to interpret the dice differently than just, hey, you're dead, which is kind of why in general in my games, I treat whatever zero and negative 10, however you want to look at it, I treat it as defeated, not dead. I take dead out of my uh, mouth, basically, I don't say it, unless it makes sense, right? Like, for instance, I was just running a game and they were fighting were-tigers who were hunting, so the were-tiger killed the player character when it reached zero, right? But if, it, if instead they had been fighting, let's say, ogres, those ogres would have knocked them out and dragged them back because ogres are, you know, they want to, 
they want to kill you right before they eat you. <laughs> and the ogres want to cook you. So they're going to bring you back to their lair, right? In my world. Whereas a tiger is just going to eat you right there. So it doesn't care. So I think it really depends on what you're doing. And I think that is good advice. I think that's uh, overall pretty much a good way to look at things. I don't think that it should be all the time, obviously, because if everybody, you know, gets by every time by the luck because they're heroes, that's not cool either. You need to have find a good balance in it. So not bad advice, not bad advice. Insofar as the kind of the last thing you were saying about the like, don't have the rats kill people. I mean, again, if I put something against somebody and I'm rolling dice, I don't change them. I don't change the dice, right? So if the, if the rats are going to bite you and a rat would kill you, that's just what would happen. But I think the idea of looking at it and going, hey, you just slayed the dragon, even though you're beat up in low hit points, you're leaving the dungeon. If they, if you see a giant rat, don't even bother rolling the reaction, just have it flee. You know, you're covered in the dragon's blood, right? The, the rats are just going to run. You can just do that. I don't think you need to roll the dice at all. You know, there's nothing that tells us we have to always roll the dice as far as I'm concerned. To me, you roll the dice when you're unsure of what should happen. If what should happen is the enemy flees or parlays or whatever, then that's just what happens. If you're unsure, then you roll the dice. Anyways, awesome stuff. Thanks so much for all the podcasts you put out. I will uh, listen to the third one probably tomorrow, and I'll try to call in. Talk to you soon. See, Jason, told you Daniel could say it better than I could. <laughs> but yeah, I, thank you, Daniel, for that, and helping clarify my thoughts for what Jason had said there. Um, and you're right. You know, don't roll. Because we can decide as a GM, it's like, yeah, this is the instance there, uh, what happened. I kind of like both ways, you know, roll, and maybe I'm going to roll, and you do get poisoned, and but it doesn't kill you right away, maybe, you know, because I've changed the rules on the fly, or did I, did I make a ruling, ooh, not a rule, hmm, that's OSR of me, right, make a ruling? That, yeah, you, you're not going to die from this poison. It's going to take longer to kill you. You know, I, there are ways to be more factual. And I think that would be the case. Like you said, the rat, giant rat there, covered in dragon's blood. Yeah. You know, I think after the adventurers kill the dragons or whatever like that, there's just that, maybe there's that aura around them and monsters are going to stay away except for the ones that maybe we're wanting to kill said dragon but you know that's another point but yeah thank thank you for your uh contribution uh really appreciate that and gives me a little more to think about and i looked and i looked and i looked and i don't see where you commented on the very first one so there's that you did comment back at the end of september on something so, if you had something to say about the other one, we'll get to you. Well, that does it for this episode, except we have two more calls from Jason. So, let's hear those now. Hey, Able Jeff, Jason here. Great job getting all the way through the book. I thought it was a pretty fair review, even if, you know, I had a couple niggles that I already called in about. But... Again, thank you so much, and I hope you have a great convention. Look forward to talking to you and hopefully playing games with you here soon. Take care. Hey, I hope all's doing well with you and the clan. I just wanted to 
mention I thought about you this morning. I was listening to the latest episode of Phantom Thoughts, and it, during their solo dungeon delve, the Pink Phantoms crew came across some contact poison on some treasure, and I couldn't help but think of you. Talk to you later. Thank you for that sentiment, Jason, and stay tuned. Uh, shortly after you hear this podcast, might be a special surprise. And yes, thank you for thinking of me when you thought about the contact poison. But hopefully again, I hope that was a trap, not treasure. Because then it's just dumb. Because really, that's what you're doing. It's a trap. <sighs> Maybe it's a trap to respond to you when you point things out like that to me. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to find a, a, a General Akbar. Was that in his name? I need to get that sound effect. That's what we need to do. Anyway, thanks to everybody who called in. Have a good night.